Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shluk. Shlisten, the podcast taking a pop at culture. Shluk, Shlisten. Shluk, Shlisten. Shluk, Shlisten. Shluk, Shlisten. Shluk. Shlisten. Shluk. Oh, very good, Benjamin. This week, it feels like the whole world is bloody possessed of madness. Because, sure, look, look, I'll explain what I mean later. Because, sure, look, aren't we only going to be looking at the new, new The Lord of the Rings, Benjamin? We're also going to have a look at the comedy best based on a stand-up skit, The Machine. Also, you've shown me the trailer for the show Nobody Asked For, The Power. And that's it. That's it. That's all I have. <laughs> she listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough. And it really isn't. We're a bit tight on content this oh, week. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the Pope's Exorcist. The Pope's Exorcist. That should be on there. It's not, though, for some reason. Um, the, the Pope's Exorcist's coming out. It's Russell Crowe. What's he doing? He's exercising the Pope. Gonna go now? Yeah, yeah. He's like, Jean-Paul, get down and give me 20, you son of a bitch. And then, <laughs> then old Pope Jean-Paul is doing 20 push-ups. She listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, and it really isn't, because we're very tight on content, but you padded us out nightly, nicely there, Michael. You Thank you very much. A bit nicely. of waffle. <laughs> bit of waffle at the start. Yeah. When in doubt, stuff it with waffle. She listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, we're also going to be taking a look at possession and the demons and all that malarkey. Mm, get them out of me. I don't want them inside of me. Benjamin. Yes. This week's special topic was brought to us by the fact that I've just come back from the hospital where I had an endoscopy, or endoscopy if you prefer. And I'll tell you what, not pleasant. It's like having a demon inside <laughs> you. Michael, I didn't know we were allowed to talk about that on the podcast. I would have had a Benjamin, ream of jokes set up. I have no secrets. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like having a demon inside you, Ben, and you want it out of you. It's gross and horrible. But anyway, speaking of things that are gross and horrible... We're getting new The Lord of the Rings movies unnecessarily. Michael, why? Okay, very good question, Benjamin. Our man on the inside, um, I said to him exactly the same question. I said, why? And this is a long and complex and quite boring reason. So I'm going to tell it to you and mix it up a bit and hopefully get a few things wrong. And maybe it'll be slightly more interesting in the retelling than it is in real life. Benjamin, Mm -hmm. do you remember The Lord of the Rings movies? Yes. Well, the rights for those were sold by Christopher Tolkien, Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Son of um, James Really, Really Royal Tolkien. Yeah. And he sold the rights for everything but parts of the Cimmerillion. I see. Okay. And that's how the Warner Brothers, you know them, Yakko and Dako and Dot, um... That's how they ended up getting the rights and making those movies in the 2000s. I see. But then, through a series of mergers and company closures and foldings and companies buying parts of the rights and other companies buying entire companies and inheriting the rights, it ended up in a situation where Warner Brothers still have the rights to the movies of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit... Amazon have the rights for weird second age of Middle Earth bullshit stories. And that's the current state of play. But you'll know, Ben, you'll know from your history of Marvel's The Fantastic Four, um, Daredevil, The X-Men, you'll know that movie studios can't just hold on to rights indefinitely if they don't use them. Yeah. So Amazon have been pressuring Warner Brothers to get out of the Lord of the Rings game. Because Amazon want to be the Lord of the Rings now. They want to be, Benjamin, they want to be the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, okay. I suppose they want to be the Lord of the Lord of the Rings. I think it's just Jeff Bezos who wants to be the Lord of everything, Michael. I don't think it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, he's the, the only one man. Ring. He's the only man who's ever watched Lord of the Rings and gone, "Oh, that's Sauron, fella. He's onto something. He's onto something." He had some, he had some bloody ideas. I'm going to put all of my powers into one ring, and I'll call it Amazon, and I'll get it into everybody's hearts and minds, and then use it to control the world. 
Michael, there's a reason they called it the Ring Doorbell. Exactly, Benjamin. They bought the Ring Doorbell, Benjamin. Jeff Bezos didn't invent it. But that is neither here nor there. Um, what, what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. So, basically, this is Warner Brothers refusing to shit or get off the pot and give up the rights <laughs> to the movies. So, they're like, fine, we'll, make the re- we'll remake the movies. We'll do a sexy Gandalf if you want. We'll do a gender-swapped Frodo. We'll do a... We'll do a incredibly diverse cast of different people from different countries around the world, but the Lord of the Rings. We can do that. If if that stops Amazon from doing it, we'll do it first. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it. That's grand. Wait and you see. Wait and you see. How yeah, much you enjoy this version. So that's I think what's going on. It's two mega corporations being incredibly petty. No, that doesn't sound like mega corporations, Michael. That doesn't sound like the Tyrell Corporation at all, or the Wayland Utani Corporation. Benjamin, we're start, we're getting ever closer to living in that hellscape of uh, t- total recall. Michael, late stage capitalism—it's coming. Oh, it's coming for us! Is it? It's coming right for us! It's gunning. It's coming for with us. a lot of us, Michael. Coming for the lot of us. I'm not excited about more Lord of the Rings movies, Michael. I think we did very well with the three we originally got. I think Peter Jackson pushed his luck with the three he did after it, which should have been one. Very much so. Yeah. Should have been one. Should have been one and it should have been not made. It should, it should have been one and not made being the key it phrases. Mm. Mm. Uh, look, give me Tom Bombadil or give me death, Michael. But Well, Benjamin, I'm assuming this is a meme or a meme as your generation call it. But what? how would you feel about a musical Tom Bombadil? Starring Hollywood's favourite James Corden. Oh, boo. boo. <laughs> That's what you're going to get, Benjamin. That's what you're going to get because Warner Brothers won't give the rights to Amazon. So we're all going to have to suffer. CGI Tom Bombadil that makes everybody slightly uncomfortable. It's just mm. James Corden. Yeah, yeah. And he's a cat. Mm. Mm. Speaking of things, Michael, that have been stretched out of a very thin premise. Go on. <laughs> we saw the trailer for The Machine this week. Ya Machina, Ben. Ya Machina. So, Michael, I'm unaware of this. Um, it's it, oh, I've mixed them up. It's not Tom Segura. It's the other one. Bert Lancaster. Bert Kreischer. Thank you very much. Um, Bert Kreischer did a bit a couple of years ago, Michael, where he claims that he fell in to the Russian mafia quite by accident in his freshman year of collage. One of the one of the most popular kind of here's a funny story bits of stand up of the last twenty years. Good job, and somebody Michael said probably could do a follow up to that. Probably, but it, I mean it was just a seven minute stand up bit, wasn't it? Or maybe it was twenty minutes. I think it was about twenty minutes. I think it was. I think it was a good thick bit. Okay, a good thick bit of Russian beef. So, Michael, what it looks like we're getting, what it looks like we're getting is a retelling of the bit in cinematic yes. form. And then yes. 30 difficult years later, yes, his past catches up with him. But I think the best thing they've done here, Michael, and the, the sheer delight that grabbed me and made me think this needs to be on our bloody podcast. Mark Hamill's playing his dad. Mark Hamill is having a Hamill senescence. He's in everything these days. And he's having a great time. He looks like he's having yeah. a lot of fun in that film. Yeah, I'm I'm glad for Mark Hamill. I think one of the best things that could have ever happened to Mark Hamill was people hating Here's More Jedi, Star Wars' eight Here's More Jedi's. Because it separated him from, from um, what's his name? Luke Skywalker. Completely. It, it, it tainted Luke Skywalker's legacy and image so much that it's probably allowing Mark Hamill to get more work. Yes, it severed him not unlike the hand from Luke Skywalker in the first Star Wars. Yeah, the second Star Wars, but go on. In the second Star Wars, good man, keeping me yeah. on track with the, the nerd yeah. stuff. You'd never know I wasn't a nerd at all, Michael, and that I didn't no. pay any attention to things. <laughs> Thanks to your it's clever editing. <laughs> Yeah, the whole premise of the podcast is basically I listen to Ben making mistakes about nerd culture and then edit most of them out. But sometimes you just can't, you can't edit around them like this week, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. 
Um, come here to me. It looks pretty interesting. It, there's such an interesting re-emergence of the, the Russian as the villain again. Thanks to the... Mm. Well, not thanks to, but partially, I would imagine, because of the war in Ukraine. Yeah, the and Russians are the baddies again. It's grand to hate the commies again. Just, just lay it on. Grand. I'd say, Benjamin, I'd say there's been no greater beneficiary of Russia invading Ukraine than the jihadis. Because they're like, yeah, we're not the baddies anymore. It's a big win for them. It's a big win for the al-jihadists, Ben, because they're not the baddies in all Hollywood movies anymore. You're the only man with that take. It's, it, it certainly is a hot take. <laughs> Thank it certainly you. is Thank a hot take. Um, I'm quite proud of that take. Speaking as neither a communist nor a jihadist, um, I think it's... There a, was a very... Speaking as neither of those demographics, yeah. very pleased with that take. Michael, there was a very funny article um, during the week and completely serious, but um, it turns out that the Taliban in Afghanistan are quite sick of the day-to-day red tape of actually running a state. I don't know if you, you saw would be. this. <laughs> yeah. They're just lads in pickup trucks wanting to have a good time. Yeah. Well, wanting for them, them to have a good time and no one else to have a good time. There's a load of them that have given an interview where they're like, yeah, we didn't know to be all this admin. This is yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well done, lads. You've expelled the foreign invaders. Now, who's in charge of tax? Get on it. Get on it. Get on it. Who is scheduling the hospital working hours? Oh, yeah. who, do we have to do that? I just want to hop in a I hop in a truck and shoot rifles with my mates. That's all I ever wanted. Yeah, it's. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let's go get some infidels. They're all gone. They're, they're, they're all gone. All gone. <laughs> yeah. Got oh them. no. Oh no. Didn't want to win. Oh god damn it. Anyway, Benjamin. Yeah. Look. It's. It's. Um. Yeah, it looks it looks funny. I I can't remember the last time I saw a comedy in the cinema. It's we we've gone through an era of comedy not being in comedy's not in Ben. It's, it's not, not hot right don't now. Go and, you do not go and see a comedy in the cinema. So comedies are not doing well recently. What was the last hit comedy? Can you tell me the last hit comedy? Uh, I certainly can't. I can't think. I, of one. I am drawing a massive blank, but I'd imagine that's on the spot by us, Michael. Bad Neighbours. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I think that was the last hit comedy. That's a while. I could be wrong. That's what I'm saying. It's just that we're, we don't live in an era where comedies are the big thing in the cinema anymore. There was a time in the early 2000s, for example, where all that was on in the cinema was comedies. The yeah. era of The era of Zoolander and... I'm Ron Burgundy and Dodgeball and all of those types. The Wedding Crashers. The Wedding Crashers, Benjamin, where you get four or five hit comedies a year. Provided now, you put Owen Wilson or Will Ferrell in them. Yeah, or Ben Stiller humorously. Mm. Meet the Fuckers, Ben, for example. The humour there being that Fuckers is quite like Fuckers. Yeah, it was it was really peak peak intellectual comedy at the time, <laughs> Michael. They really, Great comedy. They really pitched to the, the expensive seats at the front. With that one. Great stuff. Absolutely yeah. fabulous stuff. Benjamin, we've had a look at the new trailer from um, from Amazon Prime, Benjamin. We've seen a trailer for The Power, which is a unique and interesting take on what if superpowers came into the world, but it was only teenage girls who got them this time, not anything like the Nevers or Buffy. Yeah, nothing like that. Michael, yeah. this is based, in fairness, Speaking this is based on... Speaking of hot on a, takes, Ben. God. Yeah. Go on, sorry. No, no, you, you have that, Michael. No, that's it. That's you, all I have to say. Speaking of hot takes. That's all you've got to say. Okay. Look at the genericness of this thing. Go on, sorry. Michael, as as one commenter on YouTube pointed out, about about 20 million views and a thousand likes, it doesn't bode very well for the power. It's, oh my God, is it generic? It's the most generic looking thing I've ever seen. So it's it's based on a book, in fairness, Michael, um, that was released. Oh, it, it's called The Power, as one might guess. And it was okay. by Naomi Alderman. And I cannot for the life of me remember when it yes, was released. It came out a couple of years ago anyway. Uh, sorry, 2017, Michael. 
2017, not that long ago at all. Oh, that's quite recent. Yeah, that's quite recent. Quite recent. And it was everything about it feels 2017, Ben. It has it has 2017's hot take on issues. Yeah. I mean, I think at the time, Michael, it became a bit of a hit because of the very aggressive... I don't want to use the term pseudo-feminist. Okay. But I'm going to use the term pseudo-feminist. What's a pseudo-feminist? Is that like a feminist that's made out of pseudopods, a kind of jelly-like substance? Yeah, precisely, Michael. Well done. You you got it in one. Um, But in in this particular case, Michael, I think it, it, it teaches feminism through radical aggression and like, oh, what would women do if they were dangerous? And... Yeah. It's always it's it's always one of those interesting things where you're like women can be very dangerous. They just you know it's it, <laughs> this wouldn't be such a radical guns? change. <laughs> yeah, have you ever heard of guns? It's like men would be men would treat women differently if women could kill them. Well, yeah, guns. You could do guns if you want. Now there's there's obviously a, a very strong argument here that this this power it's just lightning, Michael. It's just shooting lightning about the place by it's the look just, of things. It's just the power that they racistly give to all black superheroes in DC or Marvel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now yeah. it's for teenage girls. Yeah. It's the worst power. I hate electricity <laughs> powers, Ben. I've seen you just please don't subject me to more electricity powers on screen. We've seen it a million times. I don't want any more. I don't care. I don't want any more electricity powers. They're not cool. They're just objectively dangerous. So, Michael, what we get a look at here is the the dawn of the power, as it Mm. were. And then we get a look at how different cultures and backgrounds might embrace it. Mm. Yeah. And uh, that comes in three distinct forms from the trailer. There's there's kind of an Arab Spring angle to one of it, where, where we look at how oppressed minorities in perhaps religious totalitarian states might react. Yes, go on. And that's being covered by a journalist, him off the Ted Lassos. Oh, was that him off the Ted Lassos? It's him off the Ted Lassos. And then, Michael, we got a glimpse at an all-American girl who just wants a normal life, but then she can murder people with electricity. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone's afraid of her. You can do a murder anyway. Anyone can do a murder. Anyone can do a murder. Literally anyone can do a murder if they want. Benjamin. Yes. I tell you what, right? I am, as you know, Benjamin, I am uh, quite a a strong chap. You are. You're a a muscular man. Yeah, yeah. And I I know my way around a fight, Benjamin. With a heart of gold. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd never never cause a fight, Ben, on on purpose. But, you know, I I don't live in a world where... I'm nice to men because they could beat me up, but I'm horrible to women because they can't. And <laughs> the the only thing that could possibly turn that around was electricity powers. You know the bit in that the, there's a bit in the trailer um where the there's a bouncer and you know he he might as well be the representation of misogyny. Yes, he's he's and he's He's the Ray Winstone of 2023. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's like, oh, all right, love, you're not getting into this nightclub. And she goes like, and he goes, oh, well, we don't want any trouble in you get. How is that any different from pulling a knife on a bouncer? What I find incredibly uh, funny about that is he wasn't doing anything particularly misogynistic in saying, not tonight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we might see more in the actual show. I know. I won't, because I won't be watching it. (laughs) But in the trailer, Michael, he has only done his job. But in fairness, that's the villain character, Michael. It's a bloody cockney young one from London, isn't it? And she, oh, she's got got her fingers in a few bloody crime pies. Crime pies and swimming pools. And (laughs) this is the other thing, right? She says, Dad, put me in the game and I can get you your money, right? And then she goes to the swimming pool. And it's it's an admittedly a cool little moment where she might electric him. And just give her a gun. Just give her a gun. Just, just give her a gun. <laughs> and just, send her around my... to that man's house. Yeah. And say, I'm here for me dad's money. <laughs> yeah. That's my it... point about this. Like, <laughs> this is not... This isn't the kind of thing that's going to change the world because, oh, shit, women have the power now. It's just... 
They could kill you from a bit further away. Give them a gun. We've had guns for like 500 years. It's oh, it's just one of those things. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> oh, it's going to be... Anyway, look. Tony Collette's in it. Tony Collette's in it, Michael. And uh, not Michael Peña. Um, oh, I should know this man's name. He's in everything. Luis Guzman. Is it, is it Luis Guzman? It's not then? Luis Guzman. Throw, We've been uh, racist. Puerto Rican two men of Latino descent now. Not if we want to keep our podcast, Michael. It was John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. Oh, Lexi himself. <laughs> as you call him. Yeah, it's a decent cast, isn't it? And then obviously an unknown cast of teens who are going to carry it. Uh, unless it's anything like Paper Girls, in which case... <laughs> Amazon Prime's last attempt at a at a feminist kind of retelling of something, in which case, well, it's not, it's not going very well. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't bode very well at all. But look, I'm not even going to watch an episode of it unless someone tells me it's surprisingly excellent. It is the most generic and uninspiring trailer I've ever seen. The complete opposite of The Pope's Exorcist. Michael, Come on, it, Benedict. Give me 25 <laughs> squats. So it and then turns- we'll rack them. <laughs> rack him up. Rack him up, Pope Benedict. So it turns out, Michael, that... Russell Crowe's terrible Italian accent in Thor, Love and Thunder was for two films. <laughs> he was Greek. He was Greek in Love and Thunder. He wasn't he Greek was in it, Michael. Well, I'm saying he wasn't Greek, obviously. He was Australian. He was an Australian man. But yeah, so it's another, it's another vaguely, why, Michael, why is he doing the accent in this trailer? Aye. We gotta get the demon out of the Pope. Oh no, the demon is in the Pope. We have to get the demon out of the Pope. Because the demon ain't supposed to be in the Pope. <laughs> the demon ain't supposed to be in the Pope. And we gotta get him out of the Pope. And we gotta get him to do 25 push ups. <laughs> and <laughs> then I'm gonna the have a pizza pie. Nah. Um, oh. so. We're available for parties, ladies and gentlemen. We also do. <laughs> You know, any sort of nas- white nationalist sort of events. <laughs> any any sort of racist. Get. Yeah, any sort of racist event were available. For, for, for free, even, to be honest. For, for, for free, even. It's not like we've got anybody else calling. Um, come here, Michael. This is, yeah, this, is so this is based on the real case files. Yes. Of some famous exorcist from the Vatican. The Pope's exorcist, Ben, yeah. The Pope's, the Pope's exorcist. exorcist. So apparently this is a real man, Michael, and it, it touches on a fair few good points in fairness to it now. It 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 smacked, Michael, of Dan Brown to me. I was like, hmm, 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 Tom Hanks is going to pop up any second. Mm, mm, as, or Paul Bettany, but he's all pale. Or, or Paul Bettany giving himself an out of flagellation, Michael. Just give himself mm, a little... Yeah. Whack, but whack, whack. This, this looks like Every generic The Conjuring possession after a certain point in the video. There's there's a very strong heaping dose of 1973's The Exorcist at the beginning yes. of the trailer. And then mm. it's just like, but what if we remade yeah. The Exorcist as The Conjuring? Huh? What if we did that? As The Conjuring. And everyone's just flying around the place screaming at each other and shooting lasers out of their eyes. And yeah, it really... It gives up, this trailer gives up the ghost on whether this is going to be a taut psychological thriller or is it just going to be demons flying about the place going, It (laughs) is definitely the latter. It's very much the latter, Michael. No doubt, no doubt in my mind having watched that trailer. Yeah, every, well, you know, one of the ways in which The Pope's Exorcist could be a disappointing is if, um... (laughs) Is if it turns out to be a taut psychological thriller and it's not about demons just floating around shooting at people and going, Ah, I'm a big demon! Are you sure it's not, I'm a bigger demon? Uh, I don't know, are the demons Italian or is only the Pops Exorcist Italian? I just know Russell Crowe's not Italian, so I'm assuming other people can <laughs> pretend to be whatever they want. Um, so the, the loose premise of this, Michael, seems to be that this demon has been around for a while. Yeah. He's had a run-in with the old Vaticano before. Oh, very good, right. And now he seems to think it would be funny if the Pope's exorcist was possessed by the devil. Wouldn't that be something, says the devil? There'd be a certain amount of irony to it, for sure. 
Yeah, but irony in in the way that you think that a power given to women would somehow change the world order <laughs> of things as opposed to just a gun, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that level of irony. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's that it's that kind of irony. So, Michael, oh, look, I don't know if people are going to be able to stomach an hour and a half of Russell Crowe Italianing. Well, I don't know, Benjamin. I looked at the listenership when we were doing our Italian accents and it went up. Oh, okay. Well, then, who knows? Maybe that's the secret, Michael. It could be. Join, join us next week on uh, Sure Look, uh, Sure Listen, uh, and uh, we take a look at the, the pop culture. Uh, it'd be very good. We take a look at the pop culture. Benjamin, one of the other interesting things for us here in the old Ireland, the old Emerald Isle, Benjamin. That's us, yeah. Um, that is that it was filmed here. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of the reasons that I put it on the running order. That's not Italy. <laughs> no, it's not Italy at all, Benjamin. It's Old Ireland. Michael, where did we get a Colosseum? There's definitely a Colosseum in that trailer. Yes, Benjamin. Have you ever heard of multiple locations? But a large part of it was filmed here in last year. Um, <laughs> including around, in and about Trinity College. Could we have gotten ourselves an interview with Russell Crowe? Have we dropped the ball here? We've bloody dropped the ball again, Benjamin. Ah, oh. we could oh. have got we've got have got an interview with Russell Crowe where we all did the accent and asked about exercises. I don't think oh, he would have batted an eyelid. I don't no, think he, he would have batted an eyelid. I think he would have looked you dead in the eye and gone, "Yeah, cool, yeah, that's fine." Said, I met, I met two lovely Italian fellas there yesterday. Um. No, I did a podcast with them. Very good. <laughs> lovely, um, lovely podcast with two lovely Italian fellas. <laughs> really cemented for me that I, I nailed the accent. Um, I, 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 there was a very funny clip doing the rounds on the internet there about a week ago, Michael. And um, somebody has the the gumption, the cojones, the chutzpah yes, to ask um, to ask. Russell Crowe at a junket for the nice guys. Do you use the the Stanislavski method when you're acting? Russell Crowe literally looks at this man and blinks twice and he goes, no, I used the Russell Crowe (laughs) method. (laughs) I don't even know what the Stanislavski method is. And Ryan Gosling is corpsing himself laughing to the left. He's just like, oh, not the man to ask. Don't ask yeah. Russell Crowe a question. He'll throw a Very funny. And then imitate your accent. Benjamin. Yeah. Speaking of possession. Go on. No, you go on. You, you did this. Oh, one. sorry. Yeah. So we said, Michael, this week, we said we'd take go a on. look at possession as a cinematic trope, Michael. Because despite oh. the fact, yes. despite the fact that we've abandoned many of the trappings of Christianity in other aspects of modern society... Yeah, go on. We cannot get enough of a, oh, fuck, there's a demon. Somebody get a priest. Oh, there's a, there's a demon and it's in me. Get it out of me. Just get like it. an endoscopy. Yeah, just like an endoscopy, um, which one of the co-hosts on this podcast has first-hand experience of this very day. Yeah, me, about three hours ago. It was horrible. It was, it was awful. Like it, goes all the way d- it goes all the way down the front of you, Ben, and you're like, ah! I'll, I'll have less of that, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up there. I said, let's wrap that up now. Let's get that out. <laughs> That's quite just enough like of a, that. Just like the demons of yore. Benjamin. Yeah. In our excitement and anticipation for finding out about possessions as a trope in cinema and movies and TV and others, you very kindly, because I was in the hospital, Ben, you very kindly put up a poll. I did. You did. You put up a poll and you said, what's the creepiest and spookiest exorcism in all of cinemadom? And you gave the listeners five options. Four I options. I gave them four options, options Michael, them. because that's all that Instagram will allow. And you, ga- you gave them, Benjamin, the exorcist, the yes. OG exorcist. You also gave them... I can't read what that says. Uh, the next Inish one is Diamond. Insidious. Insidious, yeah. Or, or inside insidious? us, if, you, if you're reading it on a small screen. Yeah, it's inside us. And like the endoscopy camera. What else is, what's that third one? I there? also gave Supernatural Michael and the Evil Dead. And I asked which one is the most unnerving kind of on-screen possession that you've seen. Now, Michael, for my money, it is without shadow of a doubt 
the Evil Dead. The oh, go on. E- and the reason I say that, Michael, is it's bloody gross and horrible. The Evil Dead lads get morphed and warped and turned into weird spindly deadites. And oh, it's, it's no good, Michael. I also think the sheer chaos of the possession by deadites is really unnerving. Like, sometimes it'll be your hand trying to kill you. Mm. Sometimes it'll be a deer head laughing maniacally above a rustic campfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then sometimes it'll just be an ugly, bugly woman you used to love who isn't her anymore, but her off the bloody thing and she's just going to get you. (laughs) The funny thing about the the possession in The Evil Dead is the second someone is possessed, they just become this gross monstrosity. It doesn't take a while. The camera just, the the demon goes into them, cuts away, cuts back, and they're hideous. And they're just awful. And I remember I saw that far too young, Michael, and it seared itself in there. I was just like, oh, deadites are gross and horrible. I don't like them. <laughs> Benjamin, what is, what is the possessing agent in The Evil Dead? Uh, the Necronomicon or the forces of evil from the Necronomicon. Are they demons? Are they spirits? Are they just evil spirits or are they what are they specifically? So they're most definitely evil, Michael, but they're deadites. That's what they're called. That's what the the kind of thing... Deadites is the term that Sam Raimi gave to his bizarre creation. Um, And they... One of the worst things I think about them is you don't necessarily have to do anything to be possessed other than someone else having opened the Necronomicon at some point in the vicinity. Mm. So that's what makes them awful. I mean, very often when we look at possession, Michael, it's someone who's been mucking about where they shouldn't have been. Well, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have done shouldn't that. Been mucking about. Mm. Shouldn't have been mucking about. Or worse than that, Michael, it could be someone who's involved in the occult and they've they've put a toe too deep into the wrong pond. Oh yeah, but that's their own fault. And that's their own fault, Michael. But what's really unnerving about the Evil Dead, Michael, is nobody deserved that. They weren't bad people. Oh, they just they were just teenage tokers in the 70s. Teenage tokers having a good old time. Um, tell you what, though, Ben. Yes. Our winner on the poll was not the Evil Dead, despite your protestations. Yes, I was Our very... Our winner on the poll was far and away The Exorcist. 1973's The Exorcist, Michael. The OG, the Mac Daddy, the big devil himself, and still is. Apparently, I tell you what, st- people are still a, still a scared of the Exorcist. I watched the Exorcist the other day, Benjamin, for the first time in about ten years. In when anticipation I was of this, a child, in anticipation of this, Benjamin, I said, "You know what I'll do? I'll watch the Exorcist," and it is a surprisingly effective film, given that it will be fifty this year. That's fucking mental, Michael. 50 years old that film is and it is still surprisingly good when I was growing up Benjamin because as you know I'm about 10 years older than you yes but don't look at Michael you actually look younger than your co-host younger and fresher Benjamin that's because they've cleared out me they've cleared me out from the inside (laughs) with a a terrifying long cable thing that goes down the front of you but that's neither here nor there Um, what was I saying before you reminded me of my horrible procedure oh The Exorcist Uh, Um, yes And when I was a kid growing up, Benjamin, the exorcist was the word in forbidden horror. The The exorcist was the film that, like, killed people. It was so scary. That oh, yeah. had, to be taken, had to be taken out of cinemas because people were fainting and having miscarriages and awful, awful things happening because of the sheer terror of the exorcist. And I tell you what. Go on. It's spooky. It's spooky, but by modern standards, like it, it would barely raise your heartbeat. You don't think so? It doesn't no, doesn't doesn't hold up. Oh, it absolutely holds up. But in terms of the grotesquerie and the terrifying things happening that actually happen on screen, like a, a little girl turns her head the whole way around. Yeah. And that has been parodied and repeated. Even someone, even in the trailer for The Pope's Exorcist, it happens. Very much uh, so. A little girl who looks very similar to um, the main character from The Exorcist does exactly the same thing. So that has been parodied and repeated and copied. The projectile vomiting onto the priest as he's trying to perform the exorcism. 
You know, it's been done a hundred times. The the spider times. walk backwards down the stairs, Benjamin, with the it's a mouth full of bloody teeth. It's all classic stuff. It would not... I mean, it might frighten you these days if you've not immersed yourself into the world of horror. But unfortunately for The Exorcist, every single thing that it does has become a trope or a cliche, yeah. depending on how kind you want to be. But it's still a very, very good film, Benjamin. It's an incredibly incredibly good performance as Regan McNeil the the 12 year old victim of the demon by future wife of Tony Blair Linda Blair get out no <laughs> you, you almost got me there Michael you almost got me well done well done well done but it's very good it's very good it establishes a lot of the tropes of the of the genre and it it, it is even tw- 50 years later, it does have shocking moments and some moments that you probably would be hard-pressed to get away with in this day and age. Go particularly on. Particularly around... Well, mostly revolving around once the demon possesses the 12-year-old Regan McNeil, um, it has her say some pretty grotesque things and do some pretty grotesque things involving a crucifix and her nether regions. Oh, dear. And... You know, that's in its in and of itself quite shocking, but what's really shocking about it is the fact that it's a 12-year-old child saying yeah. and doing these things. And, you know, that I can see why in the 70s, without the entire cinematic history of possession movies built up behind it, it was probably unbelievably shocking and upsetting. Yeah, I, I, I get that, Michael. I, you know, there's, it's so interesting. It is really, I mean, we'd seen, previous to that, Michael, we'd seen some examples of possession on film, but they were always a bit tame. You know, you'd get your right, your spooky voice, your ugly buggly kind of thing. Mm. But then this was just like, what if, like, the embodiment of all evil did possess something? Like, it wouldn't just be, oh, I'm going to be a little bit violent towards you mm. it'd be much worse wouldn't it it'd be just it'd just be downright unnerving and upsetting like you said yourself mm. and it kills the the demon in it pazuzu is his name ben um ridiculous it kills name. the only yes. it kills the only irish character and Go he's on. a he's a drunk he's a drunk playwright called burke so you know not a good day for the parish as far not as the irish gr- representation <laughs> in cinema is concerned <laughs> Not a great day for the parish. First, the little girl is possessed, and then we lost Burke, one of the great saints and scholars of the island. Benjamin, one of the really fascinating things about this being 50 years old is the fact that in it, when when Regan starts having her, you know, first of all, it's more so, I don't know if it's an American thing, but... It seems to be that possession stories in Americans always happen to the middle classes. Yeah. People with massive cavernous houses who have the resources to go and get every um, possible medical test done and every possible, you know, check and they can really afford the best of care and none of it works. None of it. It's all failed. Yeah. Yes, but one of my favourite things about this being nearly 50 years old is it comes from a time when psychiatry was a relatively new concept. (laughs) And the concept of taking her to see a psychiatrist is like, it's dismissed as even more lunacy than asking a priest. It's absolutely great. She, her mother sees a number of doctors and asks, are you telling me that we're going to have to find a psychiatrist and all the doctors say, oh, no, 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 let's not worry about any of that until we've eliminated every possible somatic clause, cause. So it's really fascinating from that perspective that I don't know if this movie sees psychiatry as quackery, but it brings up indisputably this connection between historically the idea of possession and our understanding of mental health issues and, you know, physical brain issues, things like epilepsy. So, I mean, this the film goes out of its way to say, no, her brain is totally fine. It must be something <laughs> else. So it's like, should we ask a psychiatrist? Absolutely not. Get the priest. So now, there's a really interesting thing 
as a result of possession movies and something that that remains a true line in most possession stories even today and it's it's kind of christian propaganda in Go in on. this in the sense that they've tried everything they've tried all mm. the modern stuff They've given it yep. all a go- bar psychiatry because that's just madness. Cal- uh, calm down a second now. <laughs> We're not going to find a psychiatrist, are we? Where would we even find one in New York in the seventies? <laughs> so you know, but they've they've done all that. Science can't explain it. You know, the experts are are stumped. And what what saves them? What 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 can deliver you from that? It's it's only Christ. It's only going. You, oh, only going you know. And it's interesting because we see that again and again. And one of the true lines is, you know, what happens when something horrible happens? Is it mental illness? No. Mm. Is it is it a slowly declining society as a result of late stage capitalism? No. <laughs> is it societal ills and underfunding of government institutions that usually helps these people? No. It's the devil. It's the, it's the devil. devil. Could it also be medical ignorance, though, Ben? Could it be... Um you know, is it a case where these are people who have easily diagnosed medical problems, but they have jumped to the conclusion it must be bloody demons? Because I don't think I've ever seen a demon possession movie that didn't claim some sort of lineage to a, th- a true story. Yeah, I mean, they all do that, Michael. We've we've spoken at length on, on this podcast about the the horrific real-life case behind The Conjuring and the two con men... That the movie is based around. Ed and Lorraine. What are their names? I can't remember. Ed and Lorraine. But you, Vera, you Mar- all, you spin your, you Vera spin Farmiga plays one of them. And then, um, I can never remember his name, plays the other. But anyway. Patrick Wilson. They successfully argued that a man with serious mental issues was possessed when he murdered his family. Um, and that was taken as a fact in in the court of law. One of their cases resulted in this man being claimed as as a demon possession. And you're looking at it going, no, 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 no. This man needs so much help. <laughs> and also his case needs to be studied so we can be aware of that in future cases. But it wasn't because the two hucksters that that film is based on were like, no, it's demons. Definitely demons. It's Ed and Lorraine Warren, Benjamin. Benjamin, that is the basis for 2003's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Have you seen it? I I, I remember not being able to stomach it very well. Okay, so it's, I mean, it's a little bit different from other, court, from other um, exorcism or possession movies in that it's also a courtroom drama. Mm. And you could argue it's primarily a courtroom drama. And it's about a young up and coming lawyer lady and she's been assigned to the case of a parish priest who performed an exorcism on a girl who died. No good. And the question is, is he going to be found guilty of killing her through malnutrition and torture or is he going to get away with it because it was demons? <laughs> and that's um, that was the working title, but they, they, they cut it down to the exorcism of Rose. Yeah, yeah, it was it was too long. Is he or is he going to get away with it? But I tell you what, um, it's it it presents the the whole exorcism thing as we basically see the witness testimonials as flashbacks. Oh, okay. So it's, you know, it's an interesting take on it. It's it's the only that I know of legal drama, legal thriller slash horror. So it follows the story of a, a parish priest who's brought in to help a girl who, and this is the bit I always remember, Ben, she starts having weird events occur every night at 3am. Okay. And that spooked the shit out of me. There's something about spooky things happening at the same time exactly at night. I don't like it. it freaks me out. The concept of waking up every night at 3am and there's some sort of demonic goings on happening. No mm, good. Mucho, as as they say in Italy, Ben, mucho no me gusta. <laughs> That's and, not Italian. Yeah, no, there were layers to that joke. Um, so anyway, yeah, look, spoilers for a film that's 20 years old this year, but um, he gets found guilty of killing her through malnutrition and malpractice. Because you're but no prick. The, but 
the jury finds uh, asks that he be sentenced to time served, so he kind of gets away with it. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. I don't but again, like it's it. all the same. T- mm. it, yeah, quite spooky and gross. Um, but interestingly, Ben, the reason yes. I, I, I bring it up is, interestingly, um, it's another case of... So, in this case, this, this one is based on a true story of a, a German woman called Annalisa, I think. Okay. If, and and this was a case where she, this was a young woman, a, a, re, a true story, who suffered from epilepsy, I think, and maybe schizophrenia, and was killed through malnutrition and um, essentially deprivation. Yeah. And the the case came up was, was this, did it happen because, you know, she couldn't be fed or did it happen because they... They cut her off from her medication and her food and her water to try and force the demon out. So this is one of the, the really terrible issues of these films is that whenever whenever you see that based on a true story tagline and it sells things because people want to look it up then and, and, you know, people are intrigued. But you just know that what actually happened in this case is other people not giving them the actual help they needed and choosing the wrong option and then causing grievous bodily harm to an individual who could do nothing about their situation. Mm, and it's it's awful. It's that it's that it's that classic supernatural thing of humans, you know, they're the worst of all the things we fight that go bump in the dark. Humans, the worst. They're just no good. Mm. Yeah, mm. no, it's gross and horrible. Well, the other Interesting. So, Benjamin, obviously, the mental health thing is a big, a big, interesting topic. Anytime Huge. you look at this, it's always, or well, The Exorcist was kind of like the beginning of maybe this is a mental health problem, but it's the seventies, so we don't care. But um, <laughs> there are a couple of other kind of recurring tropes of of um, d- demonic possession movies, and another one is that it is not always. But very often, the victim is a pubescent teenage girl. Yeah. It's one of the and biggest tropes. One of the biggest tropes, Benjamin. The the obvious one being, obviously, the exorcism of Emily Rose and The Exorcist. Yeah. But if you're going to watch a demon possession movie, I'd say there's probably a 60 to 70% chance it's going to be a teenage girl who gets possessed. I think you probably bumped that up a few percentages. Well, look, we haven't done the research, so we'd be guessing. But Benjamin, you tell us why. So one of the primary reasons for this is, um, for better or worse, Michael, within fiction, teenage girls or uh, young girls are uh, really, really dyed-in-the-wool symbol for purity. Mm-hmm. Um and whether that's whether that's true or not in actual presenting of anything is is irrelevant. Young girls represent purity in media and in television. And if you want to raise the stakes or make it seem like a true loss, you will have them them fall to the evil of your film. Um, so that's that's one of the primary reasons. But the other is um, the the reason that they're often so young and. Um, because they're uh, prepubescent, is a representation of a kind of an old wives' tale that it's easier to raise boys than girls. I don't know if you've ever heard oh, this. Oh, go on. Um, so this is a this is a and as I said, an old wives' tale based on nothing other than a mother's preference for sons. Um, the two of us being <laughs> beneficiaries of that particular yeah. strange I tell you societal what, quirk. They obviously, they obviously haven't seen Amazon's The Power. They haven't seen Amazon's The Power. They changed their tune right quick. Um, but come here to me. So this this is a weird thing that stuck by. But a lot of our possession tropes are the horrors of uh, puberty and the difficulty mm. of not recognizing your child anymore um, because they are yeah, going yeah, through yeah. A, a tremendous level of change. Now, at a very, very cursory surface level reading, 1973's The Exorcist is filled with things that we could tie back to puberty. There's the rebellious teenage attitude, obviously kicked up to 11 in this particular case, mm. Michael. Yeah, there's, she starts swearing. She starts saying, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. 
exactly. There's the bodily fluids. There's the sexual drive. You know, there's there's all these things that you know, not a good representation of puberty at all. But any horror worth its salt is a representation of societal fear, um, and you know this is one of the big ones. And a lot of the time, it's more shocking to see a young woman go through that drastic change than it is to see a young man. Um, and there's probably reams of podcasting that we could get out of why we demonize young women in these films and why young men are, are kind of not touched as much. Because I, I think arguably in a lot of cases, people expect young men to turn into little pricks as they go through time. And there's there's probably a hint somewhere of boys will be boys and it not being as sharp a contrast between the the young innocent woman you knew before and the demonically possessed woman before you Benjamin if they made a horror film about the puberty demon that possessed me when I was growing up it would have been witness the horrifying tale of a boy who tries to grow a mustache and plays Final Fantasy 7 all day Again, not gripping, Michael. Not very gripping. His parents are horrified that he won't go outside. And he just shouts down, Ma, is dinner ready? <laughs> oh, 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 somebody call the priest. Somebody call the priest. <laughs> get the priest in here. Exercise him. Exercise get down there and give me a 25 of push-ups, you little <laughs> son of a bitch. Michael, you are a good boy, but get down and do the push-ups. Go on. Do Russell Crowe was called around to your house. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely that. I mean, um, it, it seems to in recent years have faded off a little bit or, you know, it's moving more and more towards children that yeah. it's not prepubescent girls anymore. It's the demons are after your children. Um, not so much possession these days so much as the, the demons just want them. They're going to steal them. Yeah, there's never a really good reason given for it, Michael. There's there's no there's no inherent value in children other than being innocent objects again, and something you wouldn't want to lose. Um, well, but that is specifically the reason in The Exorcist. the The demon just wants to cause corruption and and horribleness, and finds an innocent victim to to do it. To do that, yeah. So, uh, funnily enough, one of the films we had in the poll there was Insidious, Michael, and. Um, Inside of us, yes. Yes, inside of us. The entity in Insidious, Michael, is specifically targeting children and collecting them. Um, Now, I think it's vaguely hinted at. It's either in Insidious 1 or Insidious 2. I I can never remember. Um, It's vaguely hinted at that he feeds on them. Oh, so he's not possessing them. He just wants to eat them. No, he's grand. He uses, you see, so he does possess them to do that. Um. He has a terrible name. He's called the Lipstick Face Demon. Yeah, Lipstick um, Demon, yeah. It's not he was, ideal. Uh, he was single-handedly responsible for one of the best jump scares of the 2010s. Still is. It's, it, yeah, arguably one of the best jump, jump scare. scares of all time, Michael. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, great jump scare. Really, really terrifying. So he, yeah, he possesses the children and gets them to commit terrible acts. Um, oh, and they're very, very murderous. But he also possesses fathers and gets them to do it as well. Um, mm. So he's he's possessing people all over the place. But it's it's a much more subtle form of possession. They're forced to commit atrocious acts that are not glaring and awful. They're slow and, as the film would suggest, insidious. And it, it's it's very well done in, in in that regard. But it is children that are the primary target of that particular type of possession. Um, and there's something very unnerving about a child that's evil. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just not right. And I think that's been played on quite heavily. Michael, you said there, you know, that we're seeing it trail off a little bit. Unfortunately, the Evil Dead is in the middle of its resurgence. We got a trailer a few weeks ago, which we didn't cover on the podcast, Michael, which is bizarre of us. But we got the Evil Dead Rises. Um, oh, what's that? I thought that might have been a video game or something. No, it's a brand new installment in the Evil Dead movie franchise. Um, and this time... Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the Necronomicon targets a family. Um, and it's very importantly, Michael, a single mom family. Oh. So, so this is really interesting. What we get, we're, we're introduced to kind of a, 
a blended family model. And what we get is uh, two sisters, one of whom is a mother to two children, and the other is her sister. And they all live together and they support each other. And there's a hint in the trailer that the the mother has gotten out of an abusive relationship, etc., etc. But anyway, somebody finds the Necronomicon. I'm not sure how that happens. And the Deadites possess the mother of the family. Um, oh. And she begins to try and... Um, corrupt the children and the sister and it's up to the sister to save them from their mother now one of the awful things about the evil dead possessions is michael once you're possessed that's it there's no saving you and there's only surviving you and that's uh, oh really you can't get the demons out in the evil no once once they're in they're in that's it um and it's it's very uh it's very against the kind of message of the exorcist or what I'm guessing will be the Pope's exorcist. You know, there is no salvation once you've been possessed. There is only surviving the havoc that that possessed person is going to wreak. Um, mm. And so it becomes a survival film. And that's that's what it is. So that trailer uh, has possessed children. It has a possessed mother. And again, it's women and children that are being targeted again and again. And there's a little part of me, Michael, that wonders. There's a little part of me that wonders is... Men, when they're scary, are just scary men. It, you know, <laughs> I think for... What if they have lightning powers? What if they have lightning powers? Ooh la la. Um, but th- this is the interesting thing, Michael. I think creepy men are just serial killers. The, and you wouldn't necessarily see it as abnormal. Make you a would, difference. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. make any difference. But that's what I mean. It, it, <laughs> you would just have the classic Irish thing of, isn't he an awful bastard? I think he might be possessed by a demon. Ah, yeah, and, he'll drink. Nah, Tom was like that before. <laughs> He's always like that, yeah. He, he was possessed been... for a demon there briefly and he got a bit better, actually. But, you know, he's a, he's an elf bollocks for the old drink and the old hitting the old wife. Well, I think this is the issue, you know what I mean? So I think that's why we get a lot more women and children in possession films than we would like. Mm. Um, mm. You know? But, uh, yeah. Benjamin... We we we're pretty, let's, we're going to wrap it up now. But there's a couple of tropes we didn't even get to touch. One of my favourites, and maybe even deserving of its own episode, was the Ouija board. Oh, Michael, a 1920s um, carnival game come to life. Incredible stuff that a, a board game essentially is like. If Monopoly had wheedled its way into the public con- public consciousness as evil, I suppose Ouija boards did it, and Dungeons and Dragons did it to an extent. Satanic um, panic of of being seen as satanic. Um, but famously, The Exorcist does feature a Ouija board. A Ouija board is how uh, Regan first gets in contact with Mr. Howdy. Is, is that, what, that what it Captain is? Captain Howdy. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, well, I mean, one of the good things about The Exorcist is that things aren't super spelled out. So probably. Okay. But, you know, may- maybe not. Um the Exorcist starts in Iran. I don't know if you if you've seen it recently, Ben. I've, the first I fifteen haven't. minutes are the first fifteen minutes are set in Iran, um, pre-revolution Iran, I imagine, um, and the priests who are a priest who's there on an expedition digs up some relics and accidentally releases this demon. Oh no! And I kind of forgot. I forgot that whole scene. I forgot that the Exorcist wasn't just unexplained. But we very much know where the demon in the Exorcist comes from. We know like who released him and what caused it, and it seems like it's the Ouija board that lets him in. That's how he finds an in to this random girl in New York. Yeah. Oh. But we could probably do a whole episode on Ouija boards someday, Ben. So maybe let's let's not spend our load. Michael, Halloween is let's coming up. Sh- Halloween is coming up. A month of scary episodes. That's eight months away, Ben. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we'll probably do it before then. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, what is the weirdest possession scene you've ever seen in a film or TV show? Uh, let us know in a few different places. You can find us on the interwebs yeah. at www.shomrabiog.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. It means tiny Roman Irish. It does indeed. You can find us on Instagram at Sherlock Listen Podcast. Sherlock Listen in English. It does. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at ListenSure. You can find us on TikTok at Sherlock Listen Podcast. Yeah, you can. We're always up on there. We're always up on Getting there. Getting loads of views for some reason. But ladies and gentlemen, it's my excellent editing, Michael. That's the reason. Um, some great editing, Ben. People are really enjoying the shorts. You know who watches all our shorts, Benjamin? Go on. My ma. 
<laughs> my ma, who do- didn't know that we had a podcast for seven years, and now she's going, you're always on YouTube. <laughs> That's right, That's ma. very yeah. entertaining. She probably has yeah, the priest no, on speed for- dial. She's mad for the uh, shorts. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, you you send our shorts to your ma, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, uh, you'll everybody. Have to find them on YouTube. <laughs> Everyone send our shorts to your ma. Um, you, the best way to get in touch with us, ladies and gentlemen, is to hop up on the Discord where we have chats with everybody. It's a great L time. Hop up on it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it from us. Bye-bye. See you next Tuesday, gang. <laughs>